Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm on the board of Team DC. I've played and loved sports my entire life, and I've played with the DC Furies and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC and I'm a diehard sports fan. I've played with many of the Team DC sports member leagues, including the DC GFFL, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, Kara Bowling, and recently the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. And I also do a little drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. It's Laura. It's January 18th. Gabe and I are still on break, and we will be bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers in March. Until then, we wanted to give you a quick update on Team DC and also continue to revisit some of our favorite episodes from Season 1. The Sports Council held its annual meeting on January 9th. Team DC board elections were held. Congratulations to Les Johnson, who was elected to the position of president, and to Grace Thompson, Eli Webster, and Gabriel Hernandez, who were elected as at-large board members for external relations, team outreach, and marketing, respectively. There are two positions that remain open on the Team DC board for fundraising and social media. Anyone that might be interested in running for one of these positions should contact Les Johnson at les at teamdc.org. Team DC, Atlantic States Gay Rodeo Association, Rogue League Sports, Caps Softball, and Team DC. If you or your organization want to participate in future Heroes for Heroes lunches, Team DC is collecting donations of $50 or more, and you can contact Brent Miner at brent at teamdc.org for more details. Team DC is now accepting applications for the 2021 Team DC College Scholarships. Team DC Student Athlete Scholarships provide up to $2,000 of financial support to offset the cost of educational expenses. Scholarships are awarded to self-identified LGBTQ student athletes who have contributed to the sport in which they participate and enhance the perception of the LGBT community website at teamdc.org backslash scholarship. This week, we are revisiting our interview with area athlete Krista McFerrin. Krista played rugby with the Maryland Stingers and was a member of the U.S. National Women's Rugby Team. As a national team player, she played in three World Cups, including as a member of the U.S. National Team that won the first ever Women's Rugby World Cup in 1991. We first shared this interview way back in episode four, and we hope you enjoy it. Okay, welcome back. Uh, we're joined today by a local athlete. Her name is Krista McFerrin. Welcome, Krista. Thank you so much, Laura. My pleasure. Glad to talk to you. This week, we are revisiting our interview with area athlete Krista McFerrin. Krista played rugby with the Maryland Stingers and was a member of the U.S. National Women's Rugby Team. As a national team player, she played in three World Cups, including as a member of the U.S. national team that won the first ever Women's Rugby World Cup in 1991. We first shared this interview way back in episode four, and we hope you enjoy it. Okay, welcome back. Uh, we're joined today by a local athlete. Her name is Krista McFerrin. Welcome, Krista. 
Thank you so much, Laura. My pleasure. Glad to talk to you. Uh, Krista played rugby with the Maryland Stingers from 1989 to 1991, and again from 1997 to 98. She also played rugby for the United States national team from 1989 until 1994, and again from 1997 to 1998. That, of course, includes um, Krista's involvement um, as a member of the U.S. team that won the first ever Women's Rugby World Cup in 1991, as well as the teams that were Rugby World Cup runners-up in 1994 and 1998. Uh, anything else on your highlight reel that you want to share with us, Krista, before we get started? No, those are those are pretty much the highlights. Of playing sevens in Hong Kong was pretty darn cool too, in front of a a, a stadium full of forty, probably about forty thousand people. That was pretty cool. That was in two thousand and one, I think. So that was a little bit after fifteens. There was seven. So yeah, I should say Krista was on the U.S. Women's National Sevens team in both nineteen ninety seven and two thousand one. So how many caps altogether do you have, Krista? You know, that was when record keeping wasn't very good. And, you know, when I was playing, actually, the Internet was pretty brand new. And so everything was kind of kept in somebody's file cabinet somewhere. But I, I honestly, Laura, I honestly do not know. Isn't that amazing? I don't know. I don't know that they they have an official tally because because as we were talking prior to this, you know, things back in 1991, I mean, 1991 was the first World Cup, but the acceptance of women playing rugby in the world, in the United States, they didn't really care so much about us, but in the rugby playing countries, they did care. And so they really didn't care that records weren't kept because they partly didn't want to recognize us. So some of the early caps were, nobody ever really was sure if it was truly the national team because it wasn't authorized by the U.S. Rugby National Society, but it was the U.S. team and it was playing it against other national teams. It was just hard to get uh, official records in the record books. So, Yeah, it's an interesting uh, sort of trajectory that you've uh, witnessed firsthand. Why don't you just speak a little bit about, can you tell us how, you, how you've seen the game grow and change from the perspective of a woman playing rugby in the United States over the course of the last, what is it, 30, 40 years? Yeah, pretty close to that. You know, back in, back in, back on the wild, in the wild, wild west on the frontier, um, back in, back in the, the five or six years prior to the 91 World Cup, I mean, there was a, there was a very active uh, women-led um movement to get rugby going. Obviously, much like the COVID virus, it had hot spots in various parts of the country. And communication back in those days was a lot harder, as was traveling. Um, but it was it was women that wanted to play the sport and it was women that were leading their college teams or their club teams. And as the word slowly got out, um, there were hot spots in California, up in Boston and in Florida were the three big ones. Uh, soon after that, there was one that popped up in the Midwest in the uh, Chicago, Minnesota area. Uh, it was kind of a, but these were all teams that were were women just putting flyers up wherever they could, asking friends to come out that had played other sports, coaching themselves, figuring out the rules themselves, and 
a big credit to the United States at that point was Title IX was empowering women to be athletes. Um, and so we had a lot of athletes coming from alternate sports that were done with college now. And really, when you think of adult sports, post-college sports for women, I mean, what? Gabe, tell me a sport you think of that women play after college. Oh, that would be tough, especially in, you know, late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Um, tennis, golf. Which ones are team sports? I mean, it, softball, with, and softball was usually co-ed and slow pitch and pretty recreational casual. So, I mean, it was, it was, I mean, I was a field hockey scholarship athlete when I came out of college and I, you know, granted I was, I was tired from playing collegiate sports, so I wasn't absolutely anxious, but I found softball before I found rugby, um, and, you know, and, and played that, but it, 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 it I, much as I love softball and there's a lot of great things about it, it's when you're playing center field, you could be picking flowers out there for a lot of the game. So, um, so it just wasn't enough activity for me. Um, so anyway, my point back was, Rugby was a was kind of a, a front on a frontier there, but it was it was also providing an outlet for women athletes that didn't have another team sport to do, and that was one of the most beautiful things about rugby in the early in the early decade. Probably was that it you were you were you were literally on the frontier of something, and you were literally doing it because you and your teammates and you know maybe a few administrators, usually almost all women. I think we got a few men's coaches in there, mostly from overseas, you know, a few years into it, but you were doing it and you were figuring out a way to find another team to play and go into Boston or go into Florida to do it. And they were also uh, organized enough to get together some national championships. So all of a sudden you're on a team sport that's with a lot of cool people. Most of them already have graduated from, well, all of them had already graduated from college because there was no collegiate rugby at that point. And they were into their professional lives. So it was, it was like a social sport league, you know, because you were meeting people and you were, you were training and you were, well, we're training and you were, you were meeting a lot of really pretty cool people in a really cool sport doing things you never, ever probably thought you were going to do. So, and I mean that on the field, not off the field. We have a few listeners that probably might not be um, as up to date on what rugby actually is. So can you explain to us in your words, what is the sport of rugby? The sport of rugby was, and it's interesting because when I was young, I kind of had to ask that same question. The sport of rugby is, is kind of a combination of football in that it's a football-sized shaped ball, but it looks like it's kind of overinflated and pregnant. Um, and it's like football because it's tackling, but it's also like soccer in that it's continuous play. So, so rugby has the has the the full contact of football in an organized fashion it has a ball kind of like football but like soccer it's continuous play where you're lateraling the ball it keeps going you don't have set downs unless there is something that has gone wrong uh, a rule has been broken then there's a, a restart of play but it's not set downs and you can keep playing as long as you keep the ball and keep not breaking the rules until you get into the try zone which is the equivalent of a touchdown. 
Um, it's just like football where you have to get into the end zone. There's no, no goal that you have to hit like soccer. The, the different thing about football and rugby is that when you get into the end zone, you can't spike the ball or put your hands up or act like you're, you're wonderful. Cause you have to actually put the ball on the ground and leave it there. Um, and that it's only when the ball is, has pressure onto the ground that it's considered a try. Um, it's also like soccer in that you can kick the ball at any time. Uh, you can kick it to advance it. You can kick it in the air. You can kick it on the ground. You can kick it uh, out of bounds. You would you, The other team gets the ball if you kick it out of bounds, but they have to earn it through a line out. Um, so it's got both hand eye coordination and also uh, eye foot coordination. So it's, it's, it's a really a beautiful blend of things. Uh, the other thing about rugby is kind of like football in that you have different body types and that was one of the really wonderful things about the sport is that you have you have people that are the more the power positions that that are, that are, are usually bigger physically maybe stronger physically and they they are the ones that are usually re-winning the ball so it would be the equivalent of the linemen or the linebackers in in football and then you have a scrum half which is kind of the equivalent of a quarterback who's kind of the connection between the more powerful people and then you have the backs which are usually a little bit quicker a little bit faster um so sometimes a little bit slighter but not always um but anyway at any point any one of those people can interchange um so you you could have somebody that was four foot ten and 105 pounds who is your scrum half or your hooker and then you could have somebody that is a lock, which is one of the bigger, more powerful people, who's six foot three and 220 pounds. And they are playing the same game with the same rules and the same full tackling. And it's just, and it works. It works because different skills. And if you don't have the ball, you can't be tackled. So you just spin it to somebody else. If you're a big girl's coming at you and you don't want to get tackled, you give it to somebody else. And it, it keeps the game flowing. It's really very nice. That's a pretty good uh, rugby 101, Krista. I, I get the impression you've given that speech a couple of times. You do give it because you're invited to talk to people and you kind of do have to kind of, I can give a sh much shorter version and kind of get the same thing across. Um, tell us how you, how you first came to play rugby. Like I said, uh, or we were talking about earlier, I was a field hockey player, a field hockey uh, athlete in college and I graduated from college, but in, in the summers when I would come home uh, between my semesters in college, I, would, I lived with and got to know some women that were kind of on the frontier of rugby here in Washington, D.C. And I would just come for the summer, so it wasn't really rugby season, but I, I, I was getting little glimpses of it. And it was when I graduated and I came home and I moved into a house with a couple rugby players. Um, that they were like, you got to come, come play rugby, come play rugby. And I was like, you know, I'm so burnt out. I don't want to play. I don't want you know. And so at one point they were having a, a select side game. And this was interesting because this was my first uh, interaction be of, between the Maryland Stingers and the Washington Furies. They were doing kind of a select side scrimmage and it was mostly Washington Furies and Maryland Stingers at that time. And they were having a scrimmage down on the mall right by the Lincoln Memorial, the Lincoln uh, reflecting pool. And so I said, well, you know, I'm going to ride my bike down there and I'll come watch. So down I ride my bike down there. And I'm sitting there and, you know, I have my flip flops and my jogging shorts on and my tank top. 
And at the time, they were also the one of the 10Ks, like the Army 10 Mile or something was going on. So some runners were finishing that race and coming in. They were watching. Um, and so I'm sitting there on my lounge chair. I think I'd probably cracked a beer at that point. Um, and one of the teams realized they were short players. And so one of my friends, one of my roommates come up to me and said, hey, Krista, come on, you can play, you can do this. And I was like, I don't, I'm wearing flip flops, you know, come on. And they found somebody that would give me some tennis shoes. And I was like, I don't know the rules, Marty. I don't know the rules. And she said, all right, I'm going to tell you the three rules that you must know for this game is number one, you can only throw the ball backwards. You can't throw it forward. Number two, if you happen to get into the touchdown zone, you have to put the ball on the ground. And she said, number three, if you don't know what else to do, just run like hell towards the touchdown line. We'll come help you. And I was like, oh, oh, okay, I guess I can do this. So they stuck me out on the wing and somebody gave me some shoes and, you know, they gave me the ball and I was I was scared to death. I didn't know what was going on. So I took off running, took off and I scored a couple tries and then rugby was in my blood from that point on. I, I figured if I can run away from these people and survive, I can do this. So it was a fun time. It was a fun time. <laughs> uh, that, that story sounds pretty familiar. I've heard it a few times from people who started playing rugby in the nineties. How long did you play rugby before you, um, Joined the national team. Well, I guess for based on that story that I just told you, that was 1984, 85, one or the other. And the, the first women's national game that was played, it was us against Canada, was in 1987. Um, and I did not play in that game, but in 1988, they played again. And that was my first chance on the national team. So four years, when you think about it. Do you remember um, your first training session with the Eagles or your first match with the Eagles? Did you have any special feeling playing for the United States and representing your country? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it was, we played up in Canada and in Canada, rugby is a bigger sport. Uh, than it is here in the United States. Um, and we played up in Canada and putting on that jersey, I think I have a picture of the scoreboard back in the background. And they had they had rugby stadiums up there too, you know. It, it you know, it, it's powerful. I mean, it's powerful. It doesn't matter. I mean, and, and when we walked on that field in Canada, there wasn't one single person in that stand except for the people we brought with us that, that was rooting for us. So I'll tell you, you talk about the pride that you get and the, and the, the, I mean, it, it's, it's like it, I, you get a buzz inside you. I mean, it, it's, and you look at your teammates and it, it's, a, it's a magical thing. It really is when that national anthem plays. And when you step on, on that field, it's truly magical. No matter, no matter who knows you're even doing it, you know? So, yes. Very cool. Um, I know that after your playing days, or maybe there was some overlapping time that you did some coaching in rugby. What's your favorite part about coaching rugby? Uh, I, I, you know, as you, as obviously rugby takes a toll on your body and there's only so long you can play. Um, but it's, it seems to be that as it's as your body is slowing down that the game seems to speed up in your brain. So you start to be, begin to see things that you didn't used to see, and it makes the game easier. 
Um, you can't, you can no longer just count on your legs or your muscles to, to get you through something. Now you have to kind of be smart enough. You have to know the rules. You have to know how to set things up. You have to be able to read the defense. And so for me, at least in the last couple of years, I played rugby. My, my motto was when I went out on the field and I knew my knees were given out and I knew my shoulder was messed up and I knew, you know, whatever, um, I, my, I, I couldn't run as fast. I, I would say to myself, you know, it's okay, Krista, just make a difference to the people that are right next to you. You know, you can see things that they can't see, so help them. Um, and, and I guess that's when I kind of said, I guess, I guess I could coach too, you know? Um, and I was very lucky in that a, a couple of my other teammates had already retired and were already coaching teams. Um, and so they provided opportunities for me to go, under uh, under the wing of the what they had already worked hard to establish and um and come join them um so that's that's kind of what led to me being able to coach with the national team for the 2006 and 2010 world cups it was because two teammates of mine who both were on the 1991 roster Kathy Flores and uh Candy Orsini uh were were had had gone through the whole process with USA Rugby and the interviews and everything, and they were awarded the women's head coaching and assistant coaching jobs. So, when they asked me to join them, I was like, "Wow, this is this is a that was just as enormous as anything else that I'd earned on the field." So, well, it's a it's an incredible um, honor to be asked to do something like that, and I. Um... You know, and I, I have no doubt that that you were had a tremendous impact on a lot of people. Um, given all your background, both as a player and a coach, could you share with us? Do you have any tips that you would share with young people who are looking to succeed um, in rugby, particular, or um, in athletics, or just in life in general? Yeah, no, I think that in if you take all three of those life in general, athletics and rugby, um, you know, as the mother of a 14 year old, I, 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 I tell my daughter every day, I was like, there's so much that you can learn and so much that you can build by being a member of a team sport, whatever that is, or being an individual sport. Cause often that's part of a team, even though you're swimming your race or playing your tennis match by yourself, you're usually within a team environment um, because the, the, the behind the scenes dynamics that occur and that the things, the worldly things, the life things that you learn through relationships, through disappointments, through uh, picking yourself up by your bootstraps and getting back up and saying, I'm going to work harder next time and I'm going to do it better next time. The ability to put your arm around a teammate that's upset or your ability to put your arms in the air with teammates when you have won. It's 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 a powerful thing for a little human being to to learn via sports. And, and it translates into every aspect of your life. I mean, it, it's kind of like when I was in the military, it's kind of like the. It, 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 it's the same as when you go with your platoon somewhere and we would go out and be in the desert somewhere and we would go for a week at a time and have to survive. You become a team and you learn lots of things about those people and about yourself that make you a better human being, you know, not just in that circumstance, but going forward. So I, I push Parker. I'm like, team sports are great. Just, you know, keep doing them. It's, it's, does, you don't have to be good. You just have to be out there and you have to be part of the sport. 
and that and I guess I'll take that with that too with rugby particularly there is a place for everybody on a rugby team you know I mean if you're injured you can you can still help you can do things on the sidelines if you're if you're like I said big or small there is a place for you on the field if you're older and you and you can't play anymore there are places there are so many things that you can do around the the administrative or the the functional side of the team that are enormous and often unrecognized so there's there's Anybody can can look out their dorm window and say, "What are those people doing?" and run down there and say, "Well, I don't really want to be on the field, but you can you can you can be part of that team one way or the other." So it's 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 good. All right, we're we're lucky in DC to have a couple um, LGBT inclusive teams, rugby teams, um, in the area. Uh, do you think rugby is a pretty inclusive sport, or is it kind of growing? You know, honestly, Gabe, I mean, I think that rugby is the all-inclusive sport and always has been the all-inclusive sport. It was one of the places where um, from from day one, you were allowed to be exactly who you wanted to be out there. Um, and, you know, some people would say that, that we looked like a bunch of misfits, but we were, we were a pack of misfits and we were empowered by allowing people to just be who they were and not asking them to be anything different because you know they were they were there for us when we were on the field they were there for us on training and when we went out we went out together and you know we were we're we're backing up anybody get you know that was getting crap from somebody so it, it and that was in a day when that that was not normal um you know we we obviously made some choices to go to places where we could be that way a little bit more, you know, um, so that we could have fun. Cause all we were looking for is to have good, good, innocent fun. Um, but it was, it, it was difficult early on. Um, and I would say of the people, there were probably more gay people or more, um, than there were straight people initially, partly because it was a haven for you to come and be okay with being who you were. Um, the beautiful thing about it is, is that it's, it's continued to be all inclusive and it's continued to be, to allow people to, to navigate things. I mean, when I was down at the, uh, women's referees and coaches, uh, society, uh, which is, there was a big meeting down there. They had one of the ice hockey coaches and collegiate ice hockey coaches come and talk about inclusivity and how she'd lost a job recently because partly because of, of the lack of inclusivity at the school that she was at. Um, so, you know, it's still, it's still very much as we can see in the national ongoings lately, there's still a lot of, of things that are underneath the surface. And, you know, there are, there are lots of places where you are, you, you cannot be all of yourself um, or you, you're almost forced to choose not to be all of yourself. And if you choose to, to buck that it can be with peril um but that is not that is not rugby and that is not the rugby world all right i think that's a great place to to close out for today thanks krista for joining us it was really fun to talk to you and i'm glad that you uh, were able to make the time to share with us 
Oh, it's my pleasure. And Gabe, it's really nice to, to I hope we get to meet in person. Nice to hear your voice. And Laura, thank you so much for organizing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston, a Team DC board member, for the design of our logo. Also, our intro and outro music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and our podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend so that we can all keep meeting Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC Vice President Laura Freyer and Team DC Board Member for Fundraising Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts and the participants on Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.